0: Hello listeners and welcome to a brand new episode of the Everybody's Eats League podcast. I'm your host as always Nerd. And delighted to be joined once again by my podcast teammate, Jerry. Jerry, how's it going?
1: Uh, I'm good, and you? Thank you, Ninad.
0: Yeah, not too bad, not too bad. Enjoying some better winter weather back in India, some time off with family. Always always good to have... uh, have that, especially at the end of the year, just before the wicked winter kicks in in Manchester. But um, but yeah, excited to record today's episode with a very special guest. We are doing, of course, listeners, a Monaco special today. And me and Jerry thought there's no better guest to have on than a Monaco uh, journalist. So please welcome Luke on Twistle. Onto the podcast. Luke, thanks for joining.
2: No, thank you very much for having me on. Yeah, it'll be it'll be fun to talk about Monaco. It wasn't necessarily very fun to talk about Monaco for for large swathes of last season. So it makes a very nice change. And uh I mean, in contrast to your lovely weather in India, it's actually quite Mancunian here in Nice at the minute. So uh yeah, hoping for the weather to to turn around soon, which I'm sure it will.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. Now, Luke, before we get started, uh, obviously, you are Editor-in-Chief at Get Fetch Football News, but why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about how you came to work in Nice and how things have panned out for you since.
2: Yeah, so I moved down into the south of France uh, just over two years ago now. So when I initially moved, I I was working for a Monégasque publication called Monaco Life, which is Uh, why the focus was so heavily on AS Monaco and why I followed them so closely for the last couple of years in particular. Um, And since then, of course, I've started working for GFFN. Uh, Recently, just over a month ago, I became editor-in-chief as well. Um, And I also do a little bit of of work for the LFP, for Ligan.com, doing their kind of match reports and and doing features as well. But yeah, it's great being down here. I mean, um, last season, there was some great European football, um, less so this season, but it's great to see two Riviera clubs basically contesting right at the top of the league. Um, it just makes things a lot more exciting, doesn't it? And yeah, it's it's two good teams to follow. But um, I mean, I follow French football, you know, in more broad terms uh, now anyway. So um, yeah, it, it, it's a good year to be following it because it's, it's quite an open season and, and an exciting season as well, which makes a change from the last couple where uh, it's felt like a bit of a foregone conclusion, even if it was very tight last season. But it did still feel like a bit of a foregone conclusion
0: no absolutely it always does doesn't it i mean as much as lons did push psg all the way you know you always had a, had a feeling that it was almost inevitable that that psg were gonna, gonna get it all and and yeah it's it's been exciting to follow the developments this season let's see how how far the the year goes um jerry do you want to take us through the headlines from france for this week
1: um so yeah so the what really interested me this weekend is the at Paris FC who plays at Charlety in Paris, so Charlety for for the one who doesn't know is a, st- this is a stadium not too far from the Parc des Princes, and basically um, um, Paris FC said that they're gonna have like free tickets at home, and I think that this comes from the fact that so Char- Charlety have a capacity of twenty thousand of uh, plays, but they barely barely. Uh, meets that requirement, and if I'm honest, uh, in Paris FC last season, uh, out of twenty team of league two, they finished fifteenth at the fifteenth position with uh, approximately four thousand of um spectator in average, and so I guess it's just a matter of bringing more fans into the stadium for them to maybe get more revenue from, who uh, you know, like the the maybe the 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 club boutique or or the food or yeah because at the moment charlotte is not he's not really he's not really full is it so yeah i think that's come from from this so yeah i think that was quite a nice gesture and for people who plan to go to paris on a weekend instead of going to watch psg maybe gonna be the time to to have a look at paris, what Paris fc is doing
0: Absolutely. absolutely. It's a great story coming up from from French football this week. Um, Luke, obviously you're based in France. What's the local reaction been like? Have you heard anything? What's the reception been like?
2: So, I mean, as you can imagine, the joke is that, you know, you need to fill up the Charlotte one way or another. Uh, And (laughs) I, I think that, you know, whilst that is a relevant factor, as Jerry pointed out, that the attendances there are extremely low. It's a very vast stadium. It's a very like airy stadium as well. Um, and it does just feel so echoey and empty um, so often. And, you know, it's a team that maybe not this season, but in seasons prior has had kind of designs on on, on making it into the top division. And I think it's something yeah. that not necessarily Paris FC, but it's something that a lot of people in French football want is for a, another Parisian team to make it into the top division because... You know, Paris is a huge European capital city, but with just one team, and that always grates with me a little bit because I you know, I like those intercity rivalries. Um and the fact that there isn't actually one at all in France is a shame. So it'd be great to see that. I think, you know, it it's a logical move. It's it's a good it's you know, it's a well gestured move. And I think it's one that um will improve the club's image, but also their their, you know. Their, their accounts as well because as Jerry says the attendance is so solo at the minute why not make it free essentially and see if you can just get people into the stadium get a good atmosphere around the club get people invested in the club invested in the storylines around the club as well so yeah a, a good move even though it has been met with a mixture of kind of appreciation but also derision I suppose as well
0: No definitely and I think Obviously, I think there's there's also some sort of inspiration from the club that's been had from Fortuna Düsseldorf's so own Fortuna for All campaign in in the Zweite Bundesliga. So it's at, in a in an era where sort of elite level football seems a bit, you know, less accessible year on year because of the increase in ticket prices and whatnot. It's it's really positive to see, isn't it, that clubs are making an effort to have fans feel more inclusive in football spaces and football stadiums in general.
2: No, for sure. For sure. I mean, it's not always the case in Ligue 1. I mean, lots of the ticket prices at a lot of Ligue 1's top clubs are very, very pricey. So it's nice to see some kind of contrast. And, you know, you, you speak about the Bundesliga and everyone, you know, kind of gawps at the Bundesliga and, the, you know, there's five Bundesliga for, for everything that they do and continue to do and for their model. But, um, you know, it's, it's a unique system. It's one that would be, you know, it'd be nice to replicate it throughout Europe. Um, but yeah, the ticket prices around France are... Or can be quite hefty so it's nice to have some kind of balance and and maybe a few you know if this is a successful campaign maybe a few of the clubs will reconsider their approach to ticketing and and pricing because um yeah lots of people like like across europe are being priced out of the game um, and you know it's no different here in france
0: well here's hoping here's hoping that things improve all right, let's move on to the club that we are here to talk about, which is, of course, AS Monaco. And there's probably no better place to start than the last manager before the current one, uh, who is Adi Hooter. Of course, current Rangers boss was uh, the manager before at AS Monaco, Philippe Climo. Um, Luke, a well, very simple question to you to start with. Why was Philippe Clement let go um, after a relatively brief spell as, as Monaco head coach?
2: Yeah, I mean the the reason is is simply the end of season run. Um, by in March, they were very much in the conversation for the Champions League um, for that podium. Uh, they were probably yeah. alongside Mar- well, alongside Marseille uh, and Lens, and obviously PSG, who were going to win the title. They they were the fourth team in the conversation, and you know three of those four were going to get the place. And then you have this dramatic drop off in form, where they not only can they not you know get wins, they also can't even get draws. And the drop off was just so, you know, intense that they went from the Champions League conversation to actually on the final day of the season, missing out on all forms of European football. So they didn't even get the Europa Conference League on the final day of the season um, with Toulouse getting a last gasp. I think it was the 91st minute Reese Healy goal from Toulouse, which basically was the final nail in the coffin. And the atmosphere just turned. And I think there's, there's there's lots of different reasons why this atmosphere turned. I think that there were lots of players who came back from the World Cup. Um, I think Eustace Fafana is, is definitely one of them who came back and was not quite the same player he was pre-World Cup. And there's just lots of underperformances more generally. You know, I'm singling him out because he is such an important player. Um, but, you know, the drop-off that we saw in Fafana was not limited to Fafana. It was, it was most players that came back from the World Cup did not replicate their levels post-World Cup. And obviously there, you, you're going to you're going to have a problem. So what, what we had was lots of underperforming players in that back end of the season. Lots of players, I think, also with their minds elsewhere, which we speak about Fafana and also De Sassi, who were very, very heavily linked with the move. And it was a question in every press conference. Um, and, you know, at, towards the end, we started to hear, kind of Clermont saying, well, you know, if they keep performing like this, they're not going to get the moves that they want. Kind of, you know, a little bit of a...
1: You know, a threat
2: essentially saying, you know, you need to up your performance levels because you're supposed to be going to your, you know, to Chelsea or to to Arsenal or wherever it is or Manchester United this summer. But if you continue to perform in this way, then you're not going to get those moves. Um, and that was a tactic that ultimately didn't work. Um, trying to kind of get performances out of them that way is it, it just didn't it didn't happen. And the decline just continued, continued. And you saw the life kind of seep out of him in the last fortnight. Not that he'd given up, but you felt as though he no longer had the grasp of the group. And this is a manager that is renowned for his management and is renowned for being very close with his players. Uh, you know, he's very much a soft touch, but by the mm. end, um, you know, the tactics on his end had changed and he'd lost control of the group, it felt. and And in the Post match press conference, so I remember after Toulouse, um, I've never seen a more resigned man in a press conference. He was, <laughs> um, he was, yeah, he was over, and and twelve, you know, twelve hours later, I think um, it was officialized that he'd left, and um, there could be no complaints. Um, you know, he had been very, very inconsistent at Monaco. Uh, lots of people remember that end of season run towards the end of the first season where they won nine out of the last 10 and went from nowhere, I think seventh or eighth to to taking third. Um, but people do forget that the first two, three months was actually really inconsistent as well. There's a good start followed by quite a few defeats and a very disappointing knockout in the Europa League as well. So it was really a reign that was just mired by inconsistency from start to finish. And, you know, mm. Paul Mitchell, I don't think, wanted to make the decision because he was leaving his sporting sporting to himself um, in the summer. And you don't want to leave and take the manager out with you. You know, your last appointment, you don't want to be firing someone in the final weeks of your reign because, you know, that also has implications for your image as well. Um, but he was left with no choice. He knew it and um, they had to move on to someone else.
0: Well, thanks for that summary, Luke. That was very, very succinct. Uh, and I've got to say, I think it feels like a mixture of a lot of different non-committal elements just coming together to like implode at the end of end of a season that, you know, obviously uh Clement himself sort of is disappointed with his own performances, but also a lot of players didn't want to be there. Yeah, Paul Mitchell also looking, you know, elsewhere. So it just all felt like it was going to end at some point, wasn't it?
2: Yeah, I I think that's it. I think that there was the feeling of an end of a cycle. I think Philippe Clement, since he's become Rangers manager, has spoken about a kind of bad dynamic, which is well, it's, mm. it's not really a surprise to be honest. Um, and I know. I think that yeah, there's a feeling of an end of a cycle. I mean, ultimately, not many of those players left. Icy was the big, high-profile departure. A few others did leave. You know, less less big players, if we can put it that way, like your Kevin Vollands, for example. Um, but there wasn't the mass turnover, perhaps that we've completely expected. I don't think that's a negative thing because I think that that was a very talented and, and continues to be a very talented squad, as as we've seen in in recent weeks. But, um yeah, there's a feeling of this this project here in its current form is going through a transitional phase, and that transition kind of snuck up on them um, mm. and I, I think that the 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 impact that um, that essentially Mitchell's departure had and knowing that it was coming, I think that maybe could have impacted the performance levels at least to an extent uh, with players and people around the club knowing that someone else is going to be taking the reins of this project going forward. And just having that lapse of just you know just one percent performance you know decrease essentially can have a massive massive impact when it's it's a division as competitive as League One. So, I think that there's accumulation of factors and this this kind of transition, which meant that Monaco felt like a team that had come to an end and needed a new beginning this summer, which which is exactly what it had
0: yeah it definitely does and um moving on from clermont let's talk more about the current boss now adi huter now he's he isn't obviously the first foreign coach that monaco have had uh in 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 recent history coming from a bundesliga background especially you know niko kovac was there before and now he is the sort of latest uh, to come from german football transitioning towards towards uh french football so you know Talking a bit more about Huta's background as a coach, how do you think that? How do you think he's adjusted to to Monaco and to the expectations of Monaco so far?
2: Yeah, I mean it's interesting you you point out Kovac. I think that there is kind of like almost like a dialectical kind of subject almost at Monaco that you had the two extremes. Mm. You had this, you had Niko Kovac who was so regimented. Um, I went to a few of his sessions and it it did feel like you were, you know, military drills, honestly. Um, (laughs) And then you've got Philippe Clement, who was very much the light touch. And now we've gone somewhere in the middle with this kind of Adi Hutter, who who we've not seen it yet, but we're we're told, you know, can be very, very firm with his players and can be and is very, very demanding, but is also quite close to his players. So he, he seems like a nice middling ground. And I think there's a certain element of continuity there because there are crossovers between him and Clement, there are similarities at least in terms of personality in certain aspects. I'd say that, you know, Adis is, you know, a much more smiley character than, than Philippe, but <laughs> um, yeah, I think that in these these opening kind of few weeks, um, it's he's maybe su- surpassed the expectations almost. I think that there was this feeling around Monaco, or at least a feeling amongst um, you know, amongst the fans that the preparations for the upcoming season were quite delayed and that was potentially because of the fact Tiago Scuro was only coming in on the 1st of July. So he's only coming in on the 1st of July. You're missing the whole of June, which is that used to be traditionally kind of a time for everyone to be off for players to go on holiday, to do this, to do that. Quite often though, now you, what you find is that there's only about a week's break in there. And it's what I found as a journalist as well. There's sometimes only one, sometimes two weeks break within that, June period. And then you kind mm. of back on it from the end of June, There's the return to training straight away. And by the time you get to 1st of July, actually, lots of the foundations for the upcoming season are actually already in place. But that wasn't the case this season because Thiago Scuro was not yet, you know, in situ. So he wasn't here in Monaco uh, to take the reins yep. until the 1st of July. So the appointment of Adi Hutta doesn't come until a little bit later. Um, and the transfer window business is slow in starting as well. So I think there was almost not, not not necessarily very, very low expectations, but certainly not this kind of huge enthusiasm or expectation that they would perform as well as they would, uh, within the context of of, of the way that he's hired. Uh, I think that. His time at, at Borussia Mönchengladbach kind of did ruin his reputation because that's what you immediate what you do obviously naturally is immediately look at their last job and was that or yep. was that not a success and Borussia Mönchengladbach by his own admission was not a success. Um, you know he in his I remember in his, his first press conference he actually was complaining about his reign at, at Borussia Mönchengladbach saying you know I went in. Was promised all this money in the summer uh, didn't get it didn't get the players <laughs> i wanted and you know that's why we played boring football i think he even, may maybe even have said the word boring football uh, or you know not the style of football that he advocates for which is as i'm sure we'll get on to extremely attacking so um yeah he comes in with a, a slightly tarnished reputation from his time at Munchen gladbach but obviously he is someone who who took frankfurt very very far in the europa league and that is still kind of lingering in the minds of, of some of some fans but yeah, the expectations weren't high, but, um, you know, that I suppose that allows you to immediately surpass them, if um, which is, you know, not a negative thing. Uh, and I think there's an element of like slightly pressure off, at least in the first few weeks. I think that that pressure ramps up slowly, slowly as you get the results and as your name is more and more linked to the title race but um yeah there, there wasn't too much weight of expectation coming in i think that kind of helped him in these in these first few weeks
0: definitely it has and especially with the way this season started and 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 in any time you see a team pushing psg uh close at whatever point in the season it, it instantly becomes a topic of excitement and topic of discussion within the young circles so rightly so i mean he's definitely contributed to a um to a very very positive start. Um, now, Luke, obviously, you have a very, um, a, I would say, better understanding than most people do by the very virtue of obviously being a Monaco journalist. Uh, but what changes have you observed from, uh, from you know, the the club, and what changes have you observed at the club, on and off the pitch, maybe most so off the pitch, since since um, since Hooters taken over.
2: Well, yeah, I think things seem a little bit lighter. It's quite hard to compare them just because of the other changes that have come at the same time. As I say, it's very much everything changed all at once. It's kind of that 1st of July came over and Paul Mitchell didn't immediately leave. It has to be said, he remained at the club in a consultancy role for quite a few weeks, only left, uh, I think it was two or three weeks ago at this point, sometime in October anyway. So there was a bit of consistency, but there was a feeling that it was a completely new project. Um, It feels as though... Yeah, the, the, that kind of bad dynamic, if you, if you can call it that, as, as Clement called it, um, is, a, is very much a thing of the past. When you bring in a new manager, you do, you know, it's a new beginning for all of those players. And, you know, some players take that chance, some players like Magnus Akliusz, who just couldn't get a game or couldn't get a start, I should say, under Clement, he suddenly has a new lease of life and and he's one of many who kind of see a new opportunity to impose themselves in, the, in this team. I think that on the pitch, there's been, you know, a lot more solidity. What it felt like with Clement was that he was always kind of grasping a little bit. He was always trying to find the system and trying to change the system based on whether or not he was getting the results at that given time. So what that manifested Mm. in was lots of changes of formation, back threes, back fours, front threes, front twos, one sole striker. It just felt as though every couple of weeks you had a complete change in system and that you were trying something else. And it was very reactionary, it felt. Um, sometimes it worked and, and it did work in his first few months. But, you know, what we found under Hutter is that he has um playing ideals that he he does not sacrifice dependent on on whether the results are going his way or not. You know, he plays the same way um, you know, against Brest as he did, you know, prior to the the loss against Lille the week, you know, the week earlier than that. So I think that there is a more solidity like stylistically and tactically. Um, having a back three is is just the way that he likes to play. You know, it's a 3-4-3 three, three every game. You know what you're going to get. Mm. Um, and I think that helps the players. I think it helps the players. Um, well, yeah, it helps them train. It also, you know, you, you get used to your roles. Whereas if you're ch- chopping and changing every two weeks, uh, you're kind of learning on the fly a little bit. And you do see that players do understand their roles, whether or not they always fulfill them, you know, to the law or, you know, you know carry them out perfectly that's another thing you know that's just performance in general but um, what you see is that the players I think understand the system because they're training it week in week out and it's a very stable system but yeah I mean it's it's been a I think a tumultuous summer would be like quite harsh on 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 Monaco but there was a lot of change Um, there was a lot a lot of change at the the club over the summer Um, and that allowed you know Adi Hutterton maybe not be like the centre of attention in some ways. And and as I say, I think that maybe helped him. But yeah, there's there's a good feeling around the club again. Um, And it's fair to say that there wasn't a good feeling around the club uh, in the the back end of last season. So it's just all that, you know, renewing it, bringing in a new man, it it just freshens things up and and it's what the club needed.
1: Um, And if I can ask, have you noticed any, uh, for example, I know when uh, Thomas Tuchel, a wrote at PSG, coming from a, like a German background coach, he sometimes installed that double session training in the day or one but a bit more longer. How did, How is uh, Adilita ad- managing training uh, now at Monaco? Is he, he, did he keep like the same way that Clement were doing it or he maybe changed time later earlier?
2: So I I can't give, you know, specific specifics, but I know that the technical department at Monaco are very much the people who hold the reins over that kind of thing. Um, Or at least there's a greater deal of collaboration that you'll find than you'll find at other clubs. James Bunce, for example, worked very, very, who is the now former uh, director of performance, worked very, very closely actually with Philippe Clement in building the blocks of you know how does this week look how how heavy is this training session going to be and it it seems that actually niko Kovac's approach to not be so collaborative in that sense actually kind of harmed his relationships with other people in the club and ultimately led to his demise you know there's very much an element of um if you're a manager at ace monaco you have to collaborate with the performance director and the technical staff very very closely to be careful to avoid injuries. I mean, last season, Monica had one of the best injury records in the whole division. Uh, of course, I mean, we'll probably talk about it. A few very, very serious injuries at the start of this season. Um, but there's been transition in the technical staff as well. Um, it's, it's the same kind of story everywhere. Um, so maybe that has kind of had a, an effect, but it, it, it's hard to, to kind of say that, I suppose, especially when a few of these injuries have come through knocks. you know, they're not necessarily muscular, uh, in nature. Um, but yeah, I mean, on, on Mondays, for example, I did an interview with uh, Sungutu Magasa a couple of weeks back. And he, for example, was in on, on a Monday, uh, because he didn't play the day before, but lots of the other players uh, were off. So if you if you play on the Sunday and if you win on on the Sunday most importantly you get that Monday off um, which is (laughs) and then Tuesday is a day off usually anyway depending on the schedule and whether or not they played Friday Saturday Sunday but yeah there's 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 collaboration with the technical staff and it's certainly not kind of very military as it was with Kovac and as it maybe was with Tuchel at PSG.
0: Interesting, interesting. Look, uh, just to circle back to what you were say, saying earlier about players understanding their roles, and this I came across a feature on, on the League uh website um, where Takumi Minamino was talking about how he's got this new lease of life under Adi Hooter. And obviously, him and Alexander Golovin have this really interesting understanding. And obviously, Adi Hooter is someone who has be- developed a reputation for building these tactically interesting sort of trios of attackers. So, you know, how encouraging is that, that already, you know, Adi Hutter in a very space of a short space of time has managed to, you know, put his imprint on the team? Yeah, I mean, Minamino is an interesting one.
2: Um, he does certainly have a, a new lease of life and it's a play that Adi Hutter knows from his time actually at Red Bull Salzburg. Um, and a lot of people are attributing Minamino's return to form uh you know because of hooter's prior knowledge of the player and their prior relationship uh maybe a little bit reductionist but um it could yeah. play a role um yeah, we we have Minamino a couple of times in the press conferences already. And we're trying to kind of get out like what has happened in the summer, Takumi, <laughs> because this is not the same player we saw last year. Because there were, there, there were high expectations of him last season and he dramatically fell short of them. You know, it, he he did not perform at all last season. Everyone at the club, you know, recognizes that. But what I found curious towards the end of the season was the, the optimism around the club that he would actually have a, a second season revival with conversations that you have with people, you kind of got this impression that they'd not given up on him at all. And that, you know, he will come good and they have very much had faith that he would come good. And, you know, that, that faith now seems pretty well founded because the performances are very, very impressive. And I think that what we're looking at Hutter in that, in that front three, you point out, you know, Minamino rightly because he was, you know, absolutely sensational in those opening game weeks, but you've got Golovin now who's taken, you know, taken the bat on and he is one of the more impressive, if not the most impressive kind of, number 10 playmaker in the division on current form. And then up front, you've, you've got a players like Ben Yedda, who is always very prolific in front of goal. And then you've got Balogun, who I think is more versatile than, than, than Ben Yedda, also a very, very good finisher, but uh, does more in terms of knitting the play, comes deeper. Uh, it's just a bit more of an interesting player overall and and can also kind of go off the last man. He, he's a very versatile forward. And I think that Hutter is kind of quite liking the versatility that he provides. Um, what is, is great about those two players in particular is in, in terms of Golvin and, and Minamino in this like dual number 10 role, uh, which he is, you know, quickly established is just like how close they sometimes play together. And I think it's, it's that that is, is the source of, of great threat for Monaco is that they're playing very close to each other. They've got great interchanges and have a good understanding because they've been playing together uh, for over a year now. And there's a bit of stability in that area of the pitch. That there's just the understanding to to break down low blocks, and Monaco really struggled uh, with low blocks last season, like like many big teams do. But there is yeah an understanding already, you know, quickly established, and I, I think it's the implementation of this dual number ten system that is is the reason for for what what we're seeing at Monaco, which is you know the most exciting attacking team in the division. Even though you know they're not winning by fours and fives as they were in the first week of the season, but they're still you know they're still scoring consistently.
1: Perfect,
0: perfect. Okay, Jerry, do you want to take us through the next uh, next part about the players? Because we're already on to talking about players switching over from managers.
1: Yes. Um, so, yeah, obviously, um, with Karanika injury, uh, Monaco decided to bring on Kaso Muataha as a joker transfer. Um, I don't know much about the player. I've never um, seen him play. But my people that I know that follow closely League 2 say that he's a good, a, a good player. So... My question is like more well, if you heard anything about the player or you've seen him or they are training, or how does he look like? And with Caio Enrique injury, how much of a blow that is? Because you were kind of, I mean, Caio Enrique always have been like an important player for Monaco since he arrived. So, yeah, how much of a blow that is, the fact that you get injured?
2: Yeah, I mean, in terms of Kasu um he isn't a player that I'd heard of or, or seen, I should say, like prior to his arrival. Um, it did feel as though there was a glaring need for, for a left-back because you, as you say, and we'll get on to Enrique, but you lost Enrique. And then after losing Enrique, you're left with Ismail Jacobs, who hasn't performed since his arrival from from Kern. But, you know, you think that he could come good. And, and now that there's not that same level of competition... Um, you feel as though he's going to get a run and he could build up some good form. So I think that he'll still be the starter, but he does obviously leave for the Africa Cup of Nations um, in not too long. Of course, he, he did play for the German youth sides, I believe, but then opted to play for, for Senegal. So I think that Monaco saw you know, a, a big need to bring in in that sector of the pitch. And Kasim Wattara is interesting because... I think that especially from a British perspective, if you're looking to get a player outside the transfer window, you're looking through the names of free transfers uh, who is not signed up to a contract. And there was a few interesting players on there. I believe there's like Nico Schultz. And there's, there's certainly, I mean, Danny Rose isn't the player he was, but you kind of look down this <laughs> list of players and you kind of think, oh, you know, so, some of these could do a job, uh, especially, you know, in this in this kind of, you know, it, it, it's um, it's a stopgap, essentially. It's a stopgap yep. role, is, is how I perceived it. But that's not how Monaco perceived it. They don't like buying players who they think can just do a job for the there and now and, you know, take a loss in them, essentially. They they don't like to work that way. And that's why you've got a player who is a project. Um And Wattara is a France under-20 youth international, so it's clearly someone who's rated in the France youth setup and who in a few years time could actually become the starting left back and I find that quite an interesting kind of way to approach what what essentially felt like a crisis to you know rather than get you know panic and get you know the, the 30 year old who's kind of been there done it get him in on a one year contract they've kind of taken a step back and he did take a few weeks before making the decision to, to bring in Watara and kind of thought right, you know, how are we going to go about this? And basically buying a player who they think in a couple of years' time could be the starter because Enrique, as Jerry says, is such an important player, but he is a player that, you know, could potentially move on because of his undeniable qualities. I mean, Enrique is is a huge, huge blow. Uh, to lose him for probably the whole season is some mild optimism, but it's no more than mild optimism that he could play in, in May. So the final few games of the season... But he, he could basically be out for the whole campaign. And he'd already registered, I think, four assists in his first six league and games. Uh, last season, only a couple of players got more assists than him from, from left back. He's now in left wing back and he looked even more comfortable there because you're asking less in the defensive phases, which I think suits him because mm. he's um, when he came through at Atletico Madrid, he was a number 10. Um, so, you know, he is attacking by nature. Um, and his dead ball delivery, it was such a source of threat for Monaco has been for a couple of years, uh, from corners, from free kicks. He just has this knack of just placing on, you know, his target's head, uh, for a while it was Axel de Sassi and, and it, it was, it was great to see how many times Kai Enrique could just perfectly pick out in a crowded box. Axel de Sassi who could get the, you know, either the header on goal or the knockdown for someone else It was, it was a great source of danger. So, especially in terms of creativity, in terms of going forward. Enrique is a massive massive blow and when it happened you kind of thought uh, that could be the end of the you know the title talk and the title challenge um we'll see you know it's it's too early to say that they can sustain a challenge without him because we're only in 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 round 11 but it's a short season and uh if you can be in in the conversation um for a little longer then you can kind of you know four games fewer the season there's not quite the same time for the dramatic drop off if you get what I'm saying so um yeah big blow uh Watara, let's see how quickly he can yeah, show his qualities. Um he had a brief cameo in the week on the weekend against Brest, uh when Monaco, I believe, already 2-0 up at the time. Uh looks not too dissimilar to to Kai Enrique. Really loved to bomb forward, was very, very aggressive in his pressing um right up the pitch. Uh wanted to make an impression, as you can imagine. Uh positive signs, but it seems like a, a raw 19-year-old prospect, so let's just see how he can bed in and and whether or not that becomes a problem area for Monaco going forward in the short term. But in the long term, it feels as though they've got a good player who, who could give them quite a lot of upside going forward.
0: Interesting, interesting. Jerry, did you have anything else to ask there? Okay okay nice I mean look what's what's really crazy to me even still you know we're about 11 weeks into the season, season now is that Kai Enrique is is still in a what five way tie with with other players for top assist in the top assist in the league with uh, Florian Sotoka Moses Simone Teji Savani and of course Ashraf Akimi so I guess it just goes to show how much uh, you know productivity he brought to to the pitch along with his uh, you know deliveries and and so yeah like you rightly say he will be a a massive blow to to Monaco's attempts to to push PSG and other teams all the way
2: yeah I, I mean for sure and I think that also I mean he's not too old I believe he's 26 now but it's a youthful Monaco side and to have those. Mm. Um, players who have kind of been there done that he became a father last year for example you know he's got life experience as well as lots of experience in different divisions across Europe coming from Brazil going into La Liga coming into the Liga um, you know it's nice to have those players in and around the dressing room on a daily basis on the pitch guiding these young players because there are a lot of them um, he'll still be around the club a lot but um, you know, let's let's see if he can make it back before the end of the season. But yeah, it's, it's a big blow, you know, both in terms of his qualities, particularly his attacking qualities, and in terms of uh, the personality that I think he is in the dressing room as well. Definitely, definitely. Yeah.
0: Um Before touching on the centre-backs, it feels like a good idea to talk about the system itself that Adi is going with, obviously a more settled form uh, of a back three system, Um, you know, After Philippe Clemence, all these tactical experimentations last season, Hooter settling with this back three, which isn't even always, isn't always comprised of three Um, (laughs) centre-backs. No. uh, how, how, How do you think the team's adjusted with that so far, Luke? And do you think it's a good fit for what they have at the moment?
2: Yeah, so, I mean, th- you, you mentioned that, you know, not always centre-backs in that centre-back line. Um, and that's just <laughs> due to circumstances. There was, uh, there's a few things that have happened during the summer at Monaco that have, have made, you know, life a little bit difficult, uh, let's say, for the back line. So you, you have the departure of Axel. You have the departure, first of all, of Benoit Badiachil in January. Um, obviously, goes to Chelsea. Um, they don't replace him, really. They bring Chris-Lan Maxima back from FC Lorient he barely gets a game at Long mm. on because as you remember that, that first six months for, 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 um, for Reggie Libri's side was, was a very, very good six months and they were performing well. So he Absolutely. kind of couldn't, he couldn't break into that defense essentially. And, and he came back with a few experiences, but not too many because of the fact that he just couldn't break through. So he comes in and he's not really a replacement for, Badia Shiel because, you know, even though he's a developing player and he's a promising player, he he was not and still is not at the level that Badia Shiel was then and is now. Mm. So that's the first big departure. Then you've got Axel de Sassi, which was very much anticipated. Everyone knew who's going to go in the summer and he leaves as well. And then your replacement is Mohamed Salisu. But what you find when Mohamed Salisu arrives is that he's not fit. And what you quickly find after he's not fit is that he's kind of, maybe needs surgery um, <laughs> and they found out that they did need to operate ultimately i think it was in september um so he doesn't play at all in the pre games is sometimes when i go to training in the first team training he, he's dipping in and out and then when it gets to september um they all go in international break and they decide like look we're, we're gonna have to i think it's pubalgia that, that he's, he's had operated on so that's that's him out for about two months he's nearing his return actually now i think Mm -hmm. the international break coming up you could maybe maybe you don't target the psg match but maybe the one after that that he could come back so there you have a a problem that you've lost two elite level center backs um and the big center back that you've brought in to replace him is not fit to play so you've got a massive shortage there especially when you're going from two center backs to a three so yeah yeah, big problems like from the outset there Um, And then you have little injuries with some players not here, you know, here and there. For example, you don't have Guillermo Maripan for a couple of weeks. You also didn't have Magasa for two weeks, one week through suspension, one week through injury. Uh, We've lost Vanderson currently through injury. Um, you've obviously lost Caio Enrique. These injuries are, are really kind of piling up for for Monaco. So that's why you you have that makeshift nature. That's why you have Denis Sicari, of course, the number six playing in in defence and doing very very well in defence, it must be said. But yeah, everyone is being kind of forced to. Slot in, I suppose. You even have Crepaldiata playing as, as a right back. Obviously, a right winger by trade, but um, actually looks a yeah. little bit more comfortable in defence. He's never really shown it for Monaco uh, as an attacker, but it's quite interesting as a, as a right wing back because Van der Sten's still not fit, and we don't know when he'll be back either. Um, so you know, there was lots of circumstances that meant that this back line was just comprised of players that naturally Hutter would not want to be playing there. Magasa is maybe one of them like, though I do believe that Hutter maybe does perceive him as a defender or at least uh, you know as much a defender as a midfielder because he is a number six by trade um, when I did the interview with him he he said you know he still feels his strongest position is in midfield but he's very happy to mm. um, you know he he only played one League and game last season. So of course, um, having played I think ten already, he's gonna be happy to just be on the pitch at this point and he's developing. He's <laughs> getting he's getting France under twenty-one call-ups, he's going from strength to strength. He has actually some of the characteristics that Ballychel has in terms of his aggression, wanting to play out from the back, you know, wanting to push into the midfielders, uh, good good physicality, you know could work on on his kind of position and not kind of overcommitting a little bit. He does overcommit sometimes, but you can see that he's already actually grown into that role quite a lot and he's becoming a, a much better defender very, very quickly. But yeah, it is, it's been an interesting one. And we've not really touched on on Wilfred Singo, who I think is the most impressive of all of Monaco's defenders so far this season. Um just absolutely brilliant. He was the one who was the the biggest unknown quantity. nobody had really heard of him when he came in from Torino. I think it was about 12 million euros. But he's been, uh, you know, absolutely incredible. He's got lightning pace that helps him, you know, drive through the thirds, but also helps him with recovery as well. Um, Perfect position, more or less the whole, you know, the whole season so far. He's not been caught out in that regard. Um, Seems like a really great personality around the dressing room as well. So he's been an incredible find, I think, for Monaco. Um, Probably one of their their, their brightest spots this season. And it'll be really interesting to see how he gets on against Mbappe, because I think he'll be... I I think he could give Mbappe a run for his money quite literally in terms of uh, sprint speed. (laughs) I think Mbappe basically beats 99.9% of footballers in a a sprint. Singo could be that 0.1% that he doesn't beat. Um, He's very, very quick. And I think that 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 kind of battle could be extremely interesting. I think that... If Singo does get the upper hand, if, if he does win that battle, I think that lots of people will very quickly start to sit up and um, pay a bit more attention to him, shall we say? Because I think he's one of these players that could quite quickly explode and, and become a really big player. Not maybe you know, hopefully for Monaco for the season and maybe beyond, but um, could quickly be swiped up by a, a much bigger team um, in the near future.
1: I think. Uh... Because when when I look up, uh, single person when he was at Torino, he did really look good on the flank. So for me, it wasn't it was like a strange to put him that position. But as you mentioned, he's been so good at that position, and when see, he threw, like he's strong at the same time really pacey and he he just really hard to get past him and he just seems so natural at that position as well. Now he it definitely makes sense and when you, you, you mentioned how, how Mbappé could struggle against him and I, I, I couldn't agree more because that's um like historically if I can say the kind of defender that Mbappé always always struggled against, you know, when you think of like Walker when or Tonibo, you know, when people who are Fast and, and strong. Axel <laughs> Yes, yes, yes. Uh, so, <laughs> so, so, yeah. I think it would be a good battle to to see.
0: As a as a United fan, I would be very very much remiss if I didn't mention Tuanzebe's <laughs> great victory over over Mbappe in that one PSG tie at the Parc des Princes.
1: And obviously, I'm I'm from Switzerland and I'm from Swiss news. I know that. Uh, you mentioned that Zachara been good as centre backs and I know that he, he is he can be good on centre backs but he's not really happy to play on the position. So I just wanted to know like is that something you can feel, you can notice uh like in the everyday life from Monaco because I know that uh in the past that he wasn't like when he was playing on the, uh for example young boys when you're putting him back in centre back position he didn't really appreciate it all the time so mm. it was kind of noticeable so I wanted to to know if it was a, the same again uh at Monaco or not really not yeah because obviously they win when you win you are more likely to accept stuff I, I yeah. guess so yeah where's he going?
2: No, I mean that, that's interesting. Was he kind of was he quite vocal I suppose in 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 his kind of disapproval or his kind of desire not to play there when he was at Young
1: no. Boys? No, he wasn't really vocal. But he just the way you know, the body language. You can't just tell that he he, he was doing the jobs obviously in, Swiss, mm. in the Swiss league. But you could tell that like, he's not where you want to play. Uh, he could do it, do it if someone injured. But that's not why you want to go long term.
2: Yeah, I, I think that I think there's um, an acceptance that he is not a centre back. I think that. Um, you know, he considers himself as a midfielder. Adi Hutter considers himself as as a midfielder. The re- recruitment team who brought him to the club in the first place consider him as a midfielder as well. So I think that you know he will be a midfielder. That will be the role that he he takes up in the long term. But he has been happy to fill in. I think it helps having matured, having maybe had that difficult loan spell at Chelsea, having not played very much. You know that will have an impact on on you and your desire to play at all costs. I think. This is the element of just being a lot more mature, you know. Being, you know, a 26-year-old, you're kind of actually one of the older members in the dressing room at Monaco at that point, so wanting to set an example and. And just not sulking, even if you think, you know, this isn't where I'm best. He he does just seem happy to to fill in and and to do a good job. And he has been doing a good job. I think as well, there's an element of the left center back at Monaco, as Magassar has shown, can be a midfielder. Um, the you know, the position demands actually quite a few of the same characteristics that you'd ask of a of a holding player as he is. Um, and what we saw actually was some of his best char- characteristics still shining through um, in that left centre-back role. Um, you know, those drive and runs, that composure on the ball to take it past a man. of course, is a higher risk when you're, you know, the last line of defence. But he still did those things, those things that he... Uh, he does very well, and and that he he did you know maybe quite rarely at Chelsea. All, although you know that that wasn't really his fault, I, I don't think. But he he was happy to do so. Um, his performances there, I think, have been good. But I think that there there is a desire that when Mohamed Salah comes back and when all of the elements are fit, that he will be in the long term in his more you know accustomed. Uh, midfield midfield role and i think that he has a good chance of of filling in either as a rotation or being you know displacing in Mohammed Camera because Camera is a is a great player, came in with high expectations, had a great few months, uh did drop off, as I said at the start, like a lot of players in the second half of the season, but is still a player very young with very, very high potential. Zukari is definitely a different profile, but it'll be interesting to see how Farner Camera Zakaria are kind of rotated throughout the season because there is only really space for two of them. Um, so, seeing how Hutter deals with that and how the players individually also deal with that and that those high levels of of competition, I think is something to keep an eye on. It's it's equally intriguing as it is a potential kind of source of of problems going forward.
1: Oh, nice! And um, from a Swiss player to another. Uh, obviously Berhlem uh is now in rehabilitation after his injuries, and just wanted to know if you know how is it going for the for I because I know we have Swiss audiences. No, I, I have no idea. <laughs> <Yeah>. But uh, <laughs> for any Swiss wondering, uh, us wondering how is he going? Um, if there is any uh, kind of uh, date where we expect to see him.
2: So there's no real date. I mean, they hate putting dates on things at most clubs nowadays when it comes to, especially when it comes to, to severe injuries. I think that with him, it was like Caio Ke- Enrique looking towards that end of the season, thinking he could be brought in for the final few games potentially. Um, but I'm not sure if he's on track to do that or not. I mean, I saw him, he was actually sat right in front of me um, for the match against Brest. Um, you know, he, he's not on crutches or anything like that, which is, you know, a positive. Um, and he was very smiley. So, you know, you can only assume and hope that that re- rehabilitation process is going well and that, um, yeah, he, he will be back as soon as possible because, you know, like so many of these, you know, like Ben Yade, like Balogun, a very, very integral part of the front line.
0: Well, you've about Ben Yade and and, uh, and Balogun there, Luke. Uh, I'm interested to know, obviously, because... Adi has tried a few different combinations so far this season. He's tried both of them together. He's tried leaving one out, keeping one in. So it seems like there is a real dilemma that is in in place at at Monaco, and um, you know is in with that with that in mind and with obviously the age difference between the two, do you reckon that Balogun is the man for the future and Beniader is is gradually being phased out?
2: So yeah, I mean. I would, I would say that Balogun is 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 naturally the the future of Monaco's attack. I think Ben Yedder, his contract is expiring at the end of the season. I don't think there's necessarily a desire from the club to extend that contract because he's on one of those historical contracts, big, big money contracts. And I think that Monaco wanted to move away from those kind of contracts. So what we're seeing, I think, now is the gradual yeah. phasing out of Wissam Ben Yedder. Uh, obviously, a very, very prolific striker, but... Um, You know, there are things, of course, going on behind the scenes and and you kind of think that this is the good time for Balogun to just essentially come in, uh, stake his claim to be the successor. And I I think they use staking his claim. There was an anonymous performance against Brest. There's the two penalty misses against Nice. But the, you know, broadly speaking, it's
0: been a very impressive start by, uh, by Balogun. So, Jerry, do you want to take us through the youth section that we are very eager to discuss to close off the
1: podcast? Yeah, absolutely, Inad. Uh, so, obviously, Luke, Monaco in France and internationally are known for their formation. Uh, well, in the recent year, the most famous one must be Kylian Mbappe, obviously. But um, this, this season, we've saw, we saw a lot of young players. So, you talked earlier about songudu Mangasa. So, what, what you kind of talk about it already, but like... Yeah. Um, I've, before this season, I, I haven't really seen him play. I just seen him briefly him play in the midfield with the under twenty last season. So yeah, um, this season, how, how has it been for him uh, now, starting regularly as a centre back when previously he was in the midfield?
2: So I think that you know Magasa's um, you know development into a good centre back is is uh, you know maybe. Maybe come as a surprise to to him. Uh, you know, he said that he's surprised to get as many minutes as he has, and he's surprised to get those minutes. You know, as a centre back role. But I think he gradually, over the course of the of the summer, gradually started to realise that in fact, you know, he's actually going to get quite a lot of game time in it, and it could be as a centre back. I mean, he's been very impressive. I, I was really impressed with him last season in particular. Um, he had a, an incredible performance. I remember when he came on, um, Monaco were at ten men. It was very early in the game against Rennes. And he comes on, and he just has an absolutely fantastic game. Um, really solidifies the defence in in the holding midfield role, and and just allows you know Monaco to be stable in a time where you know they're facing against, up against a team who are are a competitor for for European competition. And he managed to, to to help shut them out. But then he didn't get any more chances, which I think surprised everyone, not least not least him, because um, he certainly earned the right for for another chance. I think. Um, so you know his his progression has been you know maybe maybe not halted but it could have he, his breakthrough could and probably should have come a little bit sooner I think what you see now is actually a play that in some aspects of his game is quite mature and in others is is a little bit less so I talked about sometimes being a little bit too aggressive in that press um, going searching the ball too high up that is an issue um, and it sometimes leaves everyone else a little bit exposed but. Uh, great, you know, great IQ, you know, in terms of his positioning and great technical ability, great composure on the ball as well. Lots of really positive things to say about about Tsungutu Magasa, who, yeah, is is very much going from strength to strength and is is becoming more versatile as a result of having to basically fill in for, for absentees and other areas of the pitch. I think for the development of a player uh, and for the development of his profile, I think it can only be a positive.
1: Yeah, that, 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 that's great. As you said, um, I've really been impressed by him, um, this beginning of the season because I couldn't, well, the fact that we came on in that position as a youngster could be hard, but and he seems to do it really well. And, well, there's obviously this season, there's another player who actually impressed a few weeks ago against another South club against Marseille when he had his brace. And I think, uh, he's obviously Magnus Akliush. And, uh, I believe, uh, he was Last season we didn't see much of him because he was injured. But this season he he really seems to be uh, a, a much more, con- uh can I say that, um, confident player than than he used he, than he used to. Is he it because uh, Ad, Adi Viter came in and maybe uh, talked to him through how he wanted him to play? Because we've seen as well that he's been now um, coming in for Thierry with the under twenty one. So, so 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 yeah, what 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 is going on with? um
2: so in, in terms of Magnus, I mean, he was a player that he has incredible, you know, really incredible technical ability. Um, I've seen him, I remember when I first arrived in Monaco, uh, and I was going to the training sessions, you only get 15 minutes, so you see very, very small sample sizes. but. I remember seeing him close up and seeing his first touch and thinking that close, you know, close up, I've never seen such an incredible first touch. You know, he's blessed with incredible technical ability. But what we found last season is that when he got the chances to play and they were maybe too few and far between, it didn't allow him to get into a rhythm, but that he made the wrong choices when when attacking, that he ran into alleyways, that he didn't, you know, release the ball when he should have, you know, lots of things to do with just, you know, um, Basically fitting in and and following the instructions from the coach and and adhering to a game plan and to a, a playing philosophy, he didn't seem to do that too well last season. I think that this season and and you know you, you say he lacks in confidence. He's a very naturally kind of naturally a very shy player um and just a shy person. And, and generally, he's quite quiet, uh, subdued. Maybe is a bit too far, but he's certainly one of the quieter um, elements in the dressing room and. But what we're seeing this year is in him looking very confident on the pitch. You know, you see that with his, you know, very extravagant touches, his, um, you know, his his maze he runs through through the field. And, and the finishing is something that we've never really seen from him. Honestly, it seems like he may be adding that to his game slowly. Uh, those two finishes that you allude to against Marseille, Um, It's just an element of his game that we've not seen uh, since he's broken through at Monaco. And there were beginning to be a few worries about Magnus Aklush because of the fact that Elias Spencegier broke through last January. A player in the exact same position who had shown more, who scored a break in his debut, who just looked so, so promising. So I think naturally there was a little bit of, uh, you know, doubt as to whether this player who had been followed, you know, come through the academy and who lots of hopes were pinned on um would never actually make that step from the academy to the first team and there are lots of Monaco players who do you know who don't do that um and who go on to have good careers and you know, even quite recently, you look at Enzo Milo, who who was an AS Monaco academy product, goes over to Germany, now has his place in the France under twenty one side. So, it's possible to to leave the academy and to do well, but um, the word out's that that Akliush, it wouldn't quite happen for him. Um, and it's nice, you know, it's great that it it looks like it is now happening for him. AS Benzigier is out for the, for a few few more weeks, potentially months as well. So, that just gives that, that 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 those extra chances as well that I think he needs. I think he needs that. That kind of solidity, that kind of um, yeah, that that time to be able to get into a rhythm, I think that really matters for him. So I think that you know we'll see plenty more of him, and I think that he he will improve game on game. You'd hope, and if he can continue to to be decisive to to get goals, to get assists, then he'll be a massive asset adding to you know a great attack in Arsenal that all, already consists of you know Golovin and and Minamino, as, as we've already alluded to.
1: Yeah, and you talk about Seguir and how he impressed. Last season, indeed, but this season he, he went injured. So, um, have you have you any thought on his development to date? How has it been uh, for Elias Ben I mean, quite quite difficult
2: for him. I mean, he looked great again in preseason. Looked like he was going to continue to play a prominent role, and then he gets a muscular injury that just kind of takes time to get over because with a muscular injury, you don't want to push it. And then he starts to work his way back, gets a few minutes at the end of matches, but is also at the same time working with the development side to work his, you know, work his fitness. And then has just a, a clash with a Leo player in a in a you know group elite match and uh, gets a shoulder injury that seemingly could need need surgery. So he looks like he's out until 2024, unfortunately, uh, at the earliest. And, and we'll see when he's back. But it will be great to have him back on the pitch. It would be great for for I D Hutter to have him at his disposal because he's you know a great player uh, as he showed in those those few months towards the end of last season.
0: That's a shame about about Benzyke's return return date, uh, Luke. You would expect, uh, you would have liked to at least see a player of his talented potential, especially with the way he finished last season, to see him back sooner. But but yeah, fingers crossed that he can return uh, healthy and uh, uh, you know ready for action, as it were. Um, but just for the for the sake of our listeners, Luke, is there any other uh, player or players, I should say, that you've noticed that people should maybe keep an eye on who might get an opportunity in the coming months?
2: I th- I think that it's maybe slightly early for him, but there's one in particular that I've had my eye on for, for the past few months and, and who's coming through the 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 um, group elite, the development group, who looks great, and that is Mamadou Koulibaly. Um he is a number eight um and is just he has all of the the strengths and all of the qualities that I think you want of a box to box midfielder. I think that he could be a, a sensational midfielder, that you know, lots of lots of technical ability, mm-hmm. very agile. Um, And it it looks like he could be one of the next ones to break through. Um, I'd be surprised if he doesn't make that step from the academy to uh, the first team, but let's see. And the other one is is maybe slightly more obvious and he's maybe made a few more headlines. Is Malamine Efekele. He is a 17 year old and he's made the headlines more so because of the fact that people draw kind of similarities in terms of looks to (laughs) Kylian Mbappe. Uh, Whether or not there is a, a resemblance there, you know, I'm not to say, but like, I think that he is a player who is very exciting also an attacker winger has a few um, characteristics and traits that are not dissimilar to Kylian Mbappe's style of play but I think that Efakele and Koulibaly in particular are the two to follow I think that Efakele could get the odd chance here and there especially next season um, should Ben Yedder leave uh, because I don't see Monaco necessarily reinforcing in that sector of the pitch. For Koulibaly, it's a, it's a question of wait and see. Maybe if uh, Fafana leaves in the summer as well, he'll get his chance as well. But yeah, those are the two big ones, and maybe not in the very short, short term, but who, you know, given their chance, could really explode onto the scene.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you touched on, on uh, Malamin Efekele because he has been a big uh, topic. Not, not kind of a topic on the French Twitter, but like jokes like, oh, Mbappe already (laughs) have his region because they they have this they have those similarities like when they do step overs just just look so similar and I remember the first time watching like kind of like highlight of him and I I was so sure there was like uh some early video (laughs) of Mbappe and turns out it wasn't him so so yeah I'm glad you touched on him
0: okay excellent stuff Luke you've been tremendous today and thank you so much for everything that uh, that you've touched on in terms of Monaco. But before we let you go, we have to get your uh, week- weekend match to watch. So this is the thing that we do uh, with the pod before we close off, is we pick out a match for our listeners to keep an eye on for this weekend and maybe give a reason why that would be uh, the match to watch. So so yeah, which which match would you recommend our listeners to keep an eye on? That is a difficult one. I think that there's... I, I quite like
2: the look of France versus PSG because France have just like very, very slowly and very under the radar actually inserted themselves into the discussion for European football. Um, Will still as well, you know, he has a good record against them. I don't think. I don't think PSG beat him last season. I remember Balugun in one of those games getting a 96th minute equaliser. I believe the other game was a nil-nil draw. So it's clearly he has the means to to destabilise his PSG team. Of course, it's a different team this year with a different manager. You know, it's all changed. But I think seeing how they line up will be a really interesting one. Uh, and beyond that, I mean, there's always the, the headline fixture, which I, I believe this week is Lens versus Marseille. And, um, that would be an interesting one because it's two teams that really last well. They finished second and third last year, but neither have really fully hit their stride this campaign. Um, it'll be interesting to see, you know, how that one goes tactically as well. Um, I, I, I think that that's also going to be one to watch and, and see how their midweek exploits kind of affect that. But it's it's interesting to see those two teams really struggle to reproduce last season's form, and uh, should be a make for an interesting match. It's not quite the there's, there's been quite a few kind of uh, disaster matches you know between these you know these sides that have been challenging at the top and no longer are you know like your Rennes and your Lyons and there's been a lot of that and this is another one of those matches not quite to the same extent but against two teams that are just really underperforming on what you know what they have this season and let's see if they um they can pull it you know one of them can pull off the exploits and, and and get a win because uh both of them desperately need it
0: great shots Jerry what match would you go for
1: uh I would go for Hain, uh against Lyon. Um well for the fact that first of all uh I, I think the game when um Genesio, Bruno Genesio is implicated is against Lyon are always funny to watch because it's kind of like what the big fan expected. But beyond this is Lyon is having a really horrific start of the season and uh uh, I I don't know if Fabio Grosso got all everything he needs to be better, and I think Ren as well. Ren are in a really bad. They they in, in a in a strike of like four game in mean Liga, four game with no victories, and it's kind of the same with Leon with five games and the more with no victories. So it could be like the teams will win would be the, the a good time for them to get back into the winning ways.
0: Interesting, interesting. I suppose for, for my part, I'll maybe go for a sort of left field pick, maybe uh, looking at Lille and Toulouse. That would be my pick for, for this weekend. Purely because, like you mentioned, Luke, uh, like Hans, Lille are also sort of creeping back into that European sports conversation. And a positive result against uh, against Toulouse will admittedly go a long way. And obviously for Toulouse, for their own reasons, they are slowly sort of creeping towards those relegation spots, which is not a place you want to be come the uh, come the business part of the season. So, so yeah, for those reasons, Lille versus Toulouse is uh, is my game to watch this weekend. Luke, thank you so much once again for all of your insights today. You've been wonderful. And uh, but before we let you go, where can our listeners find you and keep up with all of your work?
2: So you can follow me on twitter at uh, at Luke Entsol, uh, just simply my name, and then beyond that, you can find me on on get French football news and league dot com uh, and sometimes in the Guardian as well with uh Fan's kind of historical partnership with uh well partnership, I should say, just with the Guardian writing pieces on a weekly basis and sometimes feature in there as well, which is which is great, just more generally on on French football. um but yeah, features on on all three
0: excellent i've got a feeling that if, if anyone's ever read any french transcript or any new press conferences it's probably been transcribed by you from from monaco this. Nice. so so people should already be passively familiar with all of your work but no i appreciate you taking the time to come on the pod today and uh, listeners thank you so much for sticking around till the end uh we hope to be back soon with another insightful episode from league and football so stay tuned take care and we'll see you then